You're listening to the Various and Sundry Things podcast, the Vast podcast. I am your host, Donna Gay Tyler. Hey, y'all. How's it going? I hope you've been doing well since the last time we talked. I intended to post the next um, episode of the podcast yesterday, but I'm actually glad that I waited because as I'm sure you've heard by now, um, in a lot of news stories that have been circulating in the last week, um, WNBA star Brittany Griner was released from um, Russian custody um, this morning. I saw uh, President Joe Biden, I guess he posted or tweeted or made some kind of statement um, that said she's safe, she's on a plane, and she's on her way home. Um, I guess he said that this morning alongside uh, Brittany Griner's wife, wife, rather not wife, uh, Sherelle, and she was uh, swapped for that Russian arms dealer, Victor Bout, I think was his name. I'm glad to hear that she has been released. I We hadn't talked about her before on a previous episode of the podcast, just oversight on my part, but um, you know she'd been held uh, captive. I shouldn't say captive, but she had been, um, you know the story. Some hash oil had been found um, in her luggage when she was leaving, getting ready to leave Russia, I believe. She was detained, um, put into prison, and um, she had testified that she had, I'm looking at this on CNN, um, inadvertently packed the cannabis oil that was found in her luggage. She was eventually sentenced to nine years in prison back in August and was moved um, to a, a penal colony in Mor- the Mordovia Republic in mid-November after losing her appeal. And what I had heard about that place is that it was really, really grimy. Not that Russian jails are anything like the federal, you know, like country club places that they talk about some of the federal um, penitentiaries are here in the United States. But um, um, Brittany Griner had played in the off season for Russian women's basketball um, for a long, long time, for for years, according to the CNN article. And she had been detained since February of this year. And a lot of people were trying to keep her name in the news, suggesting that had she been a male um, NBA basketball player, that none of this would have happened. Um, she wouldn't have been detained. She wouldn't have been arrested. And certainly uh, had not would not have spent as much time in Russian custody as she um, had, had she, again, been a man. Of course, if she'd also been a man, she wouldn't be probably playing in Russia in the first place because you know, women in the NBA, WNBA make a fraction of what the um, their male counterparts make in the NBA, which is why she was playing overseas in Russia in the first place. But I'm glad to hear that um, she was released. And even in this prisoner swap, I know the guy that um, the United States traded for, trade traded for for her. You know, is grimy. He's a convicted arms dealer. I think he had serve what half of his sentence. I think it was like 25 years is what I heard on NPR this afternoon. And, um, you know, it's not the best of circumstances, but you know what? I'm not going to downplay like, you know, I care less about her because I, you know, I, I thought the whole situation was terrible to begin with. My students and I actually were having a little sidebar conversation about it today. And um, I think they uh, pretty much agreed too. Like the crime didn't fit the punishment. It was just I was saying even here in the United States, even um, our governor here in Kentucky has moved to um, 
you know, lessen the penalties, I believe, for marijuana-related re crimes. That guy, I can't think, I can never think of his name when I need to, that was running for uh, Congress in Louisiana. Remember, he had done that one, he lost, unfortunately, but he had done an ad um, in which he was smoking a blunt. And he was talking about, you know, how um, the times have changed, especially because there is such a big industry. And I know this is not what Brittany Griner got in trouble for in Russia, but here in the United States, now this is a big, you know, million dollar, if not billion dollar industry now, people are, you know, legally selling marijuana in places where it is legal to do so. So if it's legal in, you know, various and sundry places across the United States, then why are some places still, you know, arresting people and applying, you know, rather stiff penalties to them? I'm talking about here in the United States, of course, if, you know, we are moving to legalize pot and the people who are going to make the money off of it aren't the people who are, um, you know, been convicted of it and had all of these sentences and things like that. And, you know, kind of dash their hopes for getting good employment and all that other kind of stuff because they have, you know, convictions on their records for marijuana possession, whatever, in that regard. But I am glad that Brittany Griner is um, going home. I had seen a couple of comments online. Um, one of the ladies that I follow online, you probably heard of her too, Awesomely Lovey. She's a Chicagoan, by the way. She had posted something earlier today that I reposted. Everyone has become, this is what she said, everyone has become an international relations specialist and ambassador on this BG thing, talking about Brittany Griner. Sir, you still think vaccines are hoaxes. <laughs> Shut up talking to me. And then she goes on to say in her um, her post, just say you want to see a gay black woman punished and go. Instead of acting like you got a degree from YouTube law school with a concentration on goofy diplomacy, folks are exhausting when they don't realize that some things are beyond their grasp. I agree. Like, don't don't get on here trying to justify, you know, your and I'm talking about people who are online trying to justify their meanness, you know, and the cruelty with regard to Brittany Griner's situation. She didn't she didn't deserve that. Nine years in Russian prison for possession of marijuana oil or hash oil, whatever. Come on. And here in the United States, and I get it, you're in another country, you should abide by that country's rules, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But nine years, that's ridiculous. And of course, everybody knows that her, um, you know, her arrest and, and um, conviction and imprisonment was all politically motivated. It's all got to do with Russia and its war in Ukraine and all that other kind of stuff. So blah, blah, blah to everybody that's trying to, you know, again, like um, Lovey says, play, you know, like international relations specialist and ambassador. Go sit down somewhere. Thanks. Okay, great. <laughs> Moving right along, um, unfortunately, and not so uh, good news, um, I know the title of this episode is it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So for Brittany Griner and her family, definitely um, looking like Christmas and she'll be home in time for Christmas. Hopefully she's back in the United States by now. I don't know what the uh, flight, the number of hours it is to how long it takes to fly from Russia to the United States, but hopefully she's back home on U.S. soil by now. Um, this is I'm recording this uh, Thursday evening, so hopefully she's back home by now. And and um, not so good news, but at least in terms of hoping that justice will prevail, the uh, trial is underway in Fort Worth, Texas, of a Tatiana's a Tatiana Jefferson's killer. If you remember back in 2019, um, she was how old? Oh, I don't have her age in front of me, but she was playing video games in her house with her nephew. They were sitting on the couch and they were playing video games. It was like two o'clock in the morning or something like that. And a neighbor called like a non-emergency number in Texas to say that her door was open. I think it was either her front door or back door. 
either one or both of them, that the doors were open. Well, I guess it turned out that Tatiana and her nephew had uh, cooked some hamburgers and, you know, had burned them or whatever. The smell was still in the house. So she had opened up the doors, you know, to air out the place. And again, a neighbor had called and said the doors were open and then he wanted someone to do a wellness check, right? It was a non-emergency number. Police got there, um, did not announce who they were. Tatiana Jefferson heard someone outside, went and got her legally owned gun, um, Police claimed that they saw the police officer in question that killed her. His name is Aaron Dean. Claimed that he saw, I guess, the outline of a weapon or something like that, but he never did identify himself as police and literally shot and killed that woman in front of her nephew in her house. The nephew is now, um, well, he was eight years old at the time and he testified, I guess he's 11 now, testified that. Like he, he didn't think that it was real, you know, like he saw his aunt fall to the floor and she was like, I guess, you know, maybe convulsing. And he just he just couldn't believe, you know, like he didn't think that, you know, she had like been killed in front of him. And so, of course, he's got PTSD and, you know, probably other types of um, emotional and psychological issues that he's, that he's dealing with. Um, I think that trial just started this week. So um, here's crossing our fingers, crossing our eyes and, you know, sending up some prayer, some prayers that um, justice will prevail in that case. Um, you know, we, we hear about this far too often in our country of um, black people being killed, um, you know, by law enforcement. And here's this woman killed in her house. And again, if it's a wellness check, then let it be a wellness check. How are you just going to roll up on somebody's house, claim that you see somebody inside the house and then start shooting? Are you what, who, that's not police policy. It, that's not, that's not how they're supposed to be trained. But again, that's the point that black people in this country have been making for forever, forever and a day since our existence. It's just, that's, that's just, that's just the way it is. And so hoping again, um, in this case, justice will prevail. Um, listen, I'm gonna bounce back and forth, I guess, between like kind of somber news and things that I'm following and um, happier, uh, lighter news. Um, hey, the Georgia erection, I mean, election is finally <laughs> is finally over the runoff erection. OK, I'll let that joke go. But anyway, the Georgia runoff election is finally over. I'm sure you're well aware as astute and as tuned in as you are, that um, Raphael Warnock was the victor. He came away with 51.4% um, of the vote, um, um, as opposed to Herschel Walker's 48.6% of the vote. Um, I was listening to, again, another NPR story the other day on the way home. I don't like to listen to music all the time in the car. Um, my commute isn't super duper long. It's not as long as it used to be when I lived in Chicago. And so I've, um, I like listening to news radio a lot. Can you tell? And so um, the local station here that I listen to um, is an NPR station. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just dig news. I don't know. I've always been like that. I think it's my mom's fault. She used to listen to um, news radio um, WBBM in Chicago when I was growing up and getting ready for school. Plus, it was super helpful back then, too, because, you know, you could get the weather and the traffic. On the eights, I sound like I work for them. <laughs> Felicia Middlebrooks, yes, she had that that voice. Any of my Chicago listeners remember her? Oh, she's still still um, doing the news. She has like the perfect radio voice. But anyway, um, yeah, Herschel Walker. No, I just uh, yeah, Herschel Walker lost. Thank God we don't have to listen to him anymore. Um, I mean, how many more gaffes and just blunders and 
how much more buffoonery did we have to did we have to put up with during that um, election? And so Raphael Warner Warner um, secures the seat again. Oh, I know what I was getting to. I just lost my train of thought just that fast. Man, old age, just speak up on up on you, won't it? Um, again, the NPR piece that I was listening to was talking about the origins of the runoff situation in Georgia, and I can't remember the individual's name who's responsible for introducing this notion of runoffs, but it was it was an effort to dilute black voting power in Georgia. I wanna say it came about um, in the 60s. Yeah, so um, Georgia's runoff, um, majority vote runoff provision for all general and primary elections, did you know that much, was um, signed um, on June 24th, 1964. I'm reading this from, from the Washington Post, just days before the passage um, of the Civil Rights Act, right? And it the whole purpose of it, again, was to weaken the impact of the Black voting bloc, um, which, of course, had grown in the 1960s because of civil rights activism um, in the 50s and 60s. And so by requiring that the favorite candidate win a majority of the votes um, would, would make it a little bit more difficult um, for black residents because, um, yeah, so this this runoff situation would make it difficult, um, I'm reading this, to, to achieve in a multi-candidate contest in which black residents held a minority of the votes, both in county and statewide elections. And although black Georgians had greatly increased their political power since the 1960s, the runoff continues to empower white Georgians and present an additional hurdle for hurdle for candidates such as Warnock who have overwhelming support from black voters. So even the whole runoff situation, um, the, the fact that it was instituted in the 1960s was again, an additional hurdle um, for black voters. It was, you know, a way to kind of like um, um, clamp down on their, um, their political power. And ironically, um, people were talking about whether or not um, Warnock was the like a unifying figure here in the Georgia um, Senate um, election, but I saw someone and I can't remember who it is uh, post online. Like it wasn't Warnock who was the unifying figure. In fact, it was Herschel Walker. He unified Republicans behind him, despite his you know lack of intelligence. I mean, clearly his his grasp of the issues. You know that whole foolishness. Remember that he was talking about the Chinese air, the air from China. Like it it can come over here to the United States. I mean, just real basic, like, wow, you're not really smart at all. And I know I have dogged him out a couple times um, on the podcast, but hey, he set himself up. His son, Christian, did you see his comments recently? Um, you know, in the wake of his son, Herschel Walker's son, Christian posted recently um, in the wake of his father's loss that Donald Trump um, allegedly called him and urged him to, you know, join the race to run against um, Raphael Warnock. And of course, you know, in the primary, um, the you know, the first, I don't want to say primary, but in the first election before this runoff, uh, Donald Trump was endorsing um, Herschel Walker. But then when it came to the runoff, you know, he kind of disappeared on him. But of course, that's because a lot of Donald Trump backed candidates in the November election lost. And so, you know, his power, it seems to be um, it, his power, is, it seems, has declined a little bit. A lot of Trump-backed candidates, again, lost. But yeah, his son was allegedly, um, his son has said on more than one occasion, he said it recently, like I said, after his dad lost. But he also said it a couple of months ago after, I guess, he got really, really 
through with him that, you know, everybody in the family, you know, was like, dude, don't run because you got so much dirt. Um, you know, so many skeletons in the closet, you know, you're disingenuous, you don't support your kids and all that other kind of stuff. And I guess he thought that, you know, his football prowess was going to equal, you know, some type of, you know, victory for the Senate. And, you know, Herschel Walker, you know, was like, forget all that. I'm going to do it anyway. And I didn't get a chance to read the entire piece in the Atlantic, but I read a couple of excerpts about, um, you know, Herschel Walker's candidacy and what it has meant. Um, and, and it is that he was the unifying figure for Republicans and shame on them. Shame on them. They just wanted somebody that was going to push buttons. But I mean, honestly, would he know which button would be the right button? I should stop. I should stop because he lost. All right. Yay. So, yeah, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas because that hot mess is finally over. Shout out to all my fellow teacher friends. Y'all hanging in there here um, in Kentucky. We've got uh, what? Six more days before our winter break. I wonder when Chicago is going because we're, we're getting out, we're ending a little bit early. So we're going to have the whole week leading up to Christmas off, which means of course that we're going to go back early. So I don't know how I feel about that, but at this point in the school year, look, just whenever, whenever winter break is, please just winter break me, please. It's been rough around these parts. Speaking of rough around these parts and speaking of Teachers, oh Lord, I just saw this article too um, this evening. As a matter of fact, it's on a WKYT's um, website, local news station. Um, that headline is um, titled the article Average Kentucky Teacher Pay Drops for Seventh Year in a Row. Horrible. I just made a new word, horrible. Um, uh, reading a little bit from the article, a new analysis from the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy shows that the average teacher pay has fallen for the seventh straight year. When adjusting for inflation, it dropped off more than 5% in the past year alone. And the article went on to um, quote um, an interview from uh, Florida Fayette County teacher, Jenny Ward. She says she's been teaching for more than two decades, has her doctorate, and yet as a single mom, she says looking at all her bills is very likely that she'll have to pick up a second job after Christmas. I've been talking about this with my students when talking about the price of food. Um, just FYI, middle schoolers snack a lot, a lot. Child, they hungry. Y'all need to feed y'all kids. Send them with some snacks. <laughs> I don't know when. Look, and here's the evil part. I don't know when they're supposed to eat their snacks. Because most teachers don't allow kids, um, students to eat in the classrooms. And I say that most teachers, um, because I mean, the truth of the matter is the kids are hungry. They're going to sneak and eat. So at some point, you know, it's like, you know, when in Rome or whatever, whatever the euphemism is that's appropriate there. But um, I talk about food with my students a lot, um, especially in the morning, because there's we eat breakfast in the classrooms. So we're always having conversations about what what's appropriate, what might not be appropriate for breakfast, you know, what's going to fuel them, you know, to get through the day until they get to lunch. Because some of them like act like they're so hungry and some of them legitimately might be. I'm, I don't want to, you know, like dash that. But some of them really do like eat like every class hour. Every time I see them in the hallway, they get, I'm like another snack bag. Is it that many bags of Takis in the world? But anyway, so we talk about food and the price of food, too. And because I do most of the grocery shopping for my household, I told them like I see firsthand you know, um, just how much um, inflation has hit in terms of like the grocery store, like the prices of food are much, much more expensive now, you know, here post pandemic than they were, you know, just a couple of years ago. And so a lot of those news stories came out too, um, especially around Thanksgiving about how the average price of the Thanksgiving dinner was significantly more than it was, you know, last year. And um, th this article also goes on to say, they said, 
to say the latest inflation adjusted analysis shows that teachers took a 3,152 pay cut this year on average. Um, this person, again, that they um, interviewed, Jenny Ward, says that leads directly into struggles with staff recruitment and retention. Fayette County has 102 openings posted on their website. Um, I had seen somewhere else a little bit further down in the article that, um, yeah, only 83% for the state, I think, uh, statewide, only 83% of job postings are being filled. Um, you know, it's, and especially in states like Kentucky, and I think I talked about that on the previous podcast episode um, about in terms of where Kentucky ranks um, in terms of teacher pay, you, you can't really attract and keep teachers when, I mean, there's so many other things that go into this job. And if, you know, decent salary is not a part of the equation, then you, especially this new generation, you know, the boomers, that's before me. Um, who am I? Gen X? I think I'm Gen X. Chaldees, millennials, Gen Y, and whoever the other folks is behind them. I, I'm too old to kind of keep up with all of the labels, but they, they are not with it. They are not with it. They're doing that stuff, the quiet quitting and all of that. And I am not mad at them. Listen, they want to they wanna be where, you know, they are not just, you know, celebrated, but they want to be earn, you know, what they feel like they're worth. And by the time you finish paying for school, um, as expensive as it is, even in a state like Kentucky, even if you go into some of the public universities here, it's still rather expensive. College is still expensive. And these municipalities cannot expect to attract and retain teachers, you know, given all of the things that are on our plates and, you know, with the with the level of salaries that, you know, they're currently paying teachers in states like Kentucky. I mean, I enjoy teaching. I do most days, um, being quite honest. Um, it is challenging. It is challenging. And it has not gotten any easier. I mean, I've been doing this for over two decades myself, and it has not gotten any easier. You know, they say, you know, work smarter, not harder. Mm, well, I've been trying. <laughs> you know, everything, there's just, I, I keep saying I'll save that for another episode, talking about my own experiences in teaching but there just is. There's so many um, things that you need to keep doing at the same time. You've seen those performers where they keep the plates spinning on like those poles or whatever. And so they're just kind of, you know, it's like akin to like juggling balls in the air. But to me, juggling balls is easy. Not that I can do it. But if you drop them, it's not going to nothing's going to happen. It's just the ball falls down on the ground. But spinning the plates, if they stop spinning, what's going to happen? One falls, it breaks. And then it's a whole little domino effect. And so that's what I think teaching is like, except those plates have flaming, kni <laughs> flaming knives on top of them. <laughs> not only are those plates going to fall and break, but they're going to start a fire. It's like that. Teaching honestly is like that. There are so many things that you have to, you know, keep track of. You know, it's like having all these, I got all these euphemisms and, you know, analogies for it, but having all these tabs open, that's just part of the job. Really like trying to, you know, multitask. That's just part of it. Because if you close a tab, it's okay. You know, you can go back in your history and figure out, you know, what tab you had open, but all of the other responsibilities that you have with teaching and the literal lives that you are impacting every day, and how you have to come at it so many different ways for so many different students, especially teachers who teach in middle school and high school, because you're seeing different groups of students all day long. And I don't mean that um, elementary school teachers don't have, you know, um, special challenges, unique challenges, too. They do. Um, it's just it's differentiated because they have the same group of students with them in front of them practically all day long. Um, I will never go back to being an elementary school teacher. God bless my daughter's teacher because, whoo. Elementary school is that's that's not my ministry. Anyway, um, so yeah, hopefully all my um 
<laughs> teachers, teacher friends, teacher podcast listeners are hanging in there. We almost got it, y'all. We almost got it. Flip into, um, um, you know, not so pleasant news, I suppose. Um, this whole um, debacle with Kyrie Irving and Deion Sanders, let's just lump them both together. Why not? Why not? Shall we? We shall. So, you know, by now, again, um, Kyrie Irving was dropped by Nike. Um, they had like severed ties with him or had suspended, I guess, the relationship with him a couple of weeks ago after he had reposted that um, a link to that Amazon video from Hebrews to Negroes. Um, uh, I've never watched it. I haven't watched it. Don't plan on watching it. Um, Anti-Semitic, I suppose, in nature. I don't know for sure because, like I said, I haven't watched it. And then, of course, um, Kyrie was kind of like, um, for lack of a better term, reprimanded by the NBA, um, lost some partnerships, including Nike, because not necessarily, I don't think, because of his stance. Be, I'm sorry, not necessarily, not necessarily for the re posting of the video in and of itself, but I think because of his stance. And I think I talked about that again on the last episode when I um, quoted Damon Young referring to um, Kyrie Irving and that other dude from Chicago that we're not going to name on this episode as unanchored, um, you know, just not having all the facts or not really being well informed on particular topics and then taking these controversial stances you know, and kind of like um, imagining themselves or at least framing themselves as free thinkers. And I don't, I'm not sure that Kyrie Irving called himself a free thinker. I could be wrong, but I think that's kind of like how he and others in similar situations try to, you know, couch themselves or frame themselves and frame their ideas. But that's just not what it is. I, I agree with Damon Young. It's just unanchored. There's some knowledge out there. It's not, you know, they're not facts and then alternative facts. I know that came out of the previous presidential administration, but that's really just some, tra that's trash. I was going to say, try to say trash and crap at the same time. Some trap. <laughs> hey, that worked. Some trap. <laughs> I'm having too much fun with this particular episode. But anyway, yeah, it's, there's not facts and alternative facts. You know, there they really are agreed upon concrete facts. And you know how I know? Because I used to read encyclopedias when I was a kid. <laughs> I will never forget the year my mama psyched me and my brother up. We had all these boxes and boxes and we thought like Santa Claus had just like, you know, we had hit the mother load with um, our Christmas gifts. Man, we kept opening all in boxes and it was a set of encyclopedias. Now, mind you, the nerd in me was excited because I was like, yes, World Book Encyclopedia, the real ones, y'all, with the gold leaf, the gold trim on them, them joints was good. But at the same time, I was like, but where the toys at? Because for real, Santa, you know, you tripping. Anyway, I digress. Kyrie Irving, his Nike contract, you know, they done with him. I saw some people online that were saying, you know, uh, we need to boycott Nike because without, you know, Black people and Black culture, what would Nike be? And, you know, this is the problem when Black people don't own their own, I guess, fill in the blank, right? Um, I'm not about to boycott Nike. I'm keeping all my <laughs> I'm keeping all my Nike stuff. I'm keeping all my Jordans. Um, and here's here's my take on it. Um, that's Kyrie Irving's choice. Now, granted, he did finally acquiesce and you know apologize and I guess do some homework and you know. Um, I saw Sean King had said that, you know, even people who are Jewish who had talked talk to Kyrie Irving, I guess at some point was like, no, he's not anti-Semitic, but 
Nike just was like, yeah, we're not going to do business with you. But you know what? And again, my point, that was Kyrie's choice. He could have, he did not have to double down on that nonsense. That's his choice. So sorry. Now I don't get paid by Nike, you know, and I'm not about to go any, buy any more Jordans anytime soon. Well, unless I see something I like, but I, I'm not, no, you know, and I'm all, I'm okay with cancel culture. I know a lot of people are like, yeah, it's terrible and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Do you, if you feel some type of way about a particular product and you don't want to give your money to them, absolutely. Keep your dollars, as they say, keep your coins, go, go right ahead. I'm, again, if you feel like you don't want to be bothered with certain elements of, you know, society because of, you know, the way that they've presented themselves, um, you know, uh, controversies that they've been engaged in and things like that, um, erroneous behavior, illegal behavior, by all means, don't, don't partake, don't buy, don't do it. That I, your money, you're a consumer. You get to do what you want to do. I get to do what I want to do too. But I'm not about to cancel Nike because Kyrie Irving did and said stupid stuff. Don't do and say stupid stuff. Oop, there it is. I mean, and you're in a position where you really got to, you know, you got to watch your words. Otherwise, people going to cut cut ties with you is what happened. Deion Sanders, um, I've heard quite a few takes on him. Uh, so, you know, he was the head coach at Jackson State University, which is an HBCU. I think most of my listeners by now know what HBCUs are. You've heard me talk about Howard University so much. Those of you who may not um, may have attended a PWI uh, but yeah, so he was the head coach, what, in 2020? Has he been there since 2020 at Jackson State? I mean, he came in with, I mean, the fanfare of fanfares, right? And he even evoked God and the whole Messiah thing that Black men tend to do, uh, Black leaders in general, but, but particularly Black men, you know, when they uh, rise to some type of leadership position, not all of them, but all of a sudden it's God told me, did he? Did he really? So anyway, he apparently um, took a job, uh, was offered a job and took it at uh, the University of Colorado, which has a pretty bad uh, football record um, right now. But I think he's getting paid like five, no, five million dollars. And he was getting paid a fraction of that at um, Jackson State because HBCUs just don't have that type of budget. You know, most of the good players, most of the good African-American players go to PWIs, predominantly white institutions. Um, and so HBCUs, the talent pool for them is diluted. And I mean, you can, it's it's one of those catch-22 situations. You know, the Black players want to get paid. They want to, again, you know, be recognized for their worth. And it's hard to do that at a um, historically Black college because they, again, they don't have the, the program, doesn't have the money, they don't have the facilities, they don't have the boosters, they just don't have all of the infrastructure in place to really put these players in a position where they can go pro, you know, get the recognition. I mean, heck, I don't even think um, most HBCUs didn't even have, a, you know, their games being um, broadcast on like ESPN and things like that. So Deion Sanders did bring a lot of attention to Jackson State University. Um, he turned their... Um, football program around, donated, I think, half of his salary. I think he was making $300,000 there. Donated half of his salary to the academic department to do whatever they did with it. Um, again, he brought a lot of attention to it because he's very flashy. That's his nature. Um, and they, you know, he did a good thing while he was there. And so a lot of people feel like he sold them out, of course, when he left to, um, quote, secure a bigger bag, end quote. I am not counting anybody else's coins. I'm not. If I'm not related to you, I'm not. If you're related to me, I'm counting your money for real. But 
<laughs> but I'm not counting anybody else's coins. So that Deion Sanders did, um, you know, wanted to go make more money, get, you know, a bigger presence, open the door for more black colleges at the, um, you know, college level, head coach college level. Good for him. Um, I think the problem that some people have, and I think, you know, it's it's a fair, you know, assessment of his actions is that it's the whole, you know, the Lord or God told me to do this. And, you know, I alone, I and mean, he didn't use those words. That, that sounds kind of Trumpian, but it, it was kind of like, here I am, you know, ah, you know, with the angels and the trumpets all in the background. Here I am. I'm the one to do it. But he didn't stick around long enough. And then I'd also read that, um, um, you know, part of the criticism, again, of Deion Sanders also includes the fact that, you know, when he needed a, I saw this online, when he needed a college degree, he got one from an HBCU. As a matter of fact, he graduated from, what's the name of the, you know, so he was a student at uh, Florida State University, um, you know, where he played uh, football. But when he got his college degree um, back in 2020, as a matter of fact, he received a degree from Talladega College in Alabama. And according to this article at hbcugameday.com, he completed the fast track program um, in that past semester, semester, which was a program designed for busy adults. So again, when he needed a college, this was the post I saw, when he needed a college degree and HBCU gave him a degree. When he needed a coaching job and HBCU gave him a coaching job. But now it appears, and I get it. Like I said, I think some of the... Um, some of this that's being um, levied at him is fair. It's fair game. But now, you know, he's turned his back on them. Well, I don't think necessarily he's turned his back, but he's definitely taken another step away from um, HBCUs to go um, coach, um, you know, a predominantly white institution, you know, to the tune of $5 million. And again, I'm not counting anybody else's money, but I think there's an argument to be made there, though. Also, I understand that the way that he announced that he was leaving was when his players were... Um, celebrating, um, I guess, a, a win that they had had and they were, um, were on their way back home or something like that. And then when they were supposed to be like kind of in a celebratory mood, mood he kind of like sprang it on him like, yes, I won't be back next season. I'm going to play for Colorado. And they like bounced on them like, what? And I don't, I think they're supposed to play in some type of bowl game. And I'm not sure if he's going to coach them. I guess that's still kind of up in the air. So, yeah, I guess it was a little bit up in the air as to whether or not Deion Sanders was going to coach Jackson State uh, for the last time in the Celebration Bowl versus North Carolina Central. But apparently um, he is. Um, he confirms that he is going to coach them. Like I said, I, I get it. I understand why people are upset. I understand why, you know, on both sides of being upset, upset that people are mad because he left and then upset with Deion Sanders himself for leaving. I think it's the way that he left. I don't in my, you know, my opinion, me, myself, personally, all three of us, I think the problem is not that he's leaving, you know, because coaches don't necessarily have to, you know, he, he doesn't owe them anything. You know, they gave him a job. He performed, did well, turned the, turned the program around, um, got Jackson State on um, ESPN and other HBCUs too. I mean, and has gotten a lot of attention, attention drawn to HBCU sports in general, I want to say. Um, I saw Howard University has a contract now with um, Jordan. I've been looking for that Howard Jordans, but I guess only the basketball team has them. Boo. See, that's why I'm not boycotting Nike. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of HBCUs now, you know, have been, you know, given the lift that they need um, and been, you know, highlighted because of their, you know, their sports teams have been highlighted 
Now, of course, here's the other thing. HBCUs have produced talent in other areas besides sports for years and years and years and years and years. So Deion Sanders, honestly, and it's not to diminish anything that he's done at Jackson State for Jackson State or for HBCUs in general, but Deion Sanders is just a blip on the radar. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, and thank God for what he did for Jackson State and for HBCU sports. But I mean, there's been a lot of the talented people who've um, you know, been produced by historically black colleges and universities in other areas, in addition to sports, but not in other areas besides sports. And, you know, they're going to be all right. We going to be all right. Wait, is that a church song? Um, let's see what else is, what else is on my list of topics. Oh, back to a, a fun topic. Is this where I'm going to end the episode? Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Rebel Wilson, but don't nobody care about her. Don't pay attention to her. Plus size clothing line, whatever. Blah blah blah. No, scratch that. Nobody cares. Um, but ending the episode on a good note, Ava DuVernay. Um, she's one of my favorite directors. She's responsible for the show Queen Sugar that re recently um signed off. Um, I want to say like just last month in November. I think after seven seasons. Now, admittedly, I had lost track a little bit. I got. I kind of, I kind of lost, got lost a little bit. Um, what, what had happened was I wasn't watching as faithfully as I, I once was, but I was still keeping up with like recaps um, of the of the series. Then it was good. I liked Queen Sugar. I thought it was a really, really good show. Really well written, well acted. Um, it was on the own network, the Oprah Winfrey Network. It was a really good show. But um, Ava DuVernay, she's also responsible for um, A Wrinkle in Time. Did you see the remake of that with Oprah Winfrey a couple of years ago? I went to see that by myself. I thought that was good. And I was mad when I went to the movie theater because I bought two seats and somebody had, oh, they had their stuff in my seat. I was like, excuse me, one and two right here on the end. One and two. Thank you. One's for my purse and one for me. All right. All right. What else um, is Ava DuVernay? But anyway, she's a, a Hollywood director, a movie director, and she has a new flavor of ice cream from Ben and Jerry's. Isn't that great? I like, I like ice cream. Okay, I'm tripping. I'm tripping. But yeah, she's got a new flavor of Ben and Jerry's. It's a vegan flavor too. So for those of you um, who are lactose intolerant and but still enjoy ice cream, um, that would be me. Um, it's called Lights Caramel, or do you say caramel? Me and my students, my students and I argued about that not too long ago too. Is it caramel or caramel? I'm like, look how the word is spelled. There are two A's there. Two A's there, C-A-R-A-M-E-L. That's not caramel. It's caramel. So it's lights, caramel, action. And she was like, um, I saw her post about it on uh, Instagram. And I thought it was so cool. Like, oh, she's got... Um, She's got a new ice cream. That's very cool. Yay. Proceeds from it um, will benefit her um, Array Alliance. Um, she was the first Black woman, by the way, to be nominated uh, for the Academy Award for Best Picture. I think that was the Selma movie. I'm pretty sure um, that that was the movie that she was nominated for. Um, the movie about uh, Selma to Montgomery is the last, most recent one about um, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, I was trying to pull up some other movies that she has done. That was in Variety, well, where I just um, read that Lights Caramel Action. Isn't that cute? That's such a cool name. Her um, nonprofit um, organization that the um, profits are going to benefit um, it has a mission to amplify the work. I'm reading this again from um, Variety. Amplify the work of artists of color and women directors. 
And um, she says that, um, I'm sorry, the CEO of Ben & Jerry says that framing this as a new flavor for the first Black woman to be a featured partner on our pints doesn't do Ava justice. I agree. We are humbled by this partnership, impressed by her work, sharing not only the, the struggle, but the joy in the justice. And we are inspired by her commitment and vision. I was like, oh, I love Ava DuVernay. I love ice cream. Plus she has locks and she pretty. I love her locks. I'm trying to get some more movies. I know Selma. Um, oh, how did I miss that? Um, Queen Sugar, um, A Wrinkle in Time. I mentioned that one. Um, let's see. Oh, how did I miss this one? When They See Us. How did I miss that one? That was, uh, uh, well, it was created, the program created, was created by Ava DuVernay. And she's also one of the writers and executive producers. That was a Netflix series. It was about the, um, they call themselves now the Exonerated uh, Five, but they were known back in the late 80s as the and early 90s as the Central Park Five. Remember those five um, young Black men? I think they were all Black. One may have been Puerto Rican um, or um, Latino. I'm, sure, I'm sorry to just kind of attribute um, him to Puerto Rican stand, uh, uh, ethnicity. But yeah, they were um, accused of raping the um, jogger in Central, Central Park. Um, with like barely any evidence. And they were all like um, minors and all were convicted and spent a significant amount of time um, in prison. And later on, um, a confession came forth and I believe some DNA evidence too that exonerated them. And they were finally released, um, uh, you know, after they were fighting those convictions, they were uh, finally released from prison. And that series, if you didn't watch it, oh my God, it was gripping. Like you talking about crying and being on the edge of your seat. I mean, and even though you know how the story is going to end, oh my God, the backstory of those young men, it was gripping. But anyway, that's also a product of um, from Ava DuVernay. And um, I think she recently turned 50 or something like that. I know she had a birthday party and Oprah Winfrey gave it, gave through her party. And like, isn't that the coolest thing? Seriously, um, she just turned 50. Um, go ahead, girl. American filmmaker, television producer, and former film publicist. She won a primetime Emmy. What did she win an Emmy for? I'm just all in her business. She won the primetime Emmy for um, 13th. Or 13 is the name of it. It's not 13. No, it is. It's 13th. It was a documentary that came out again on Netflix back in 2016 about um, the 13th Amendment. And what I'm reading online, it says, filmmaker Ava DuVernay explores the history of racial inequality in the United States, focusing on the fact that the nation's prisons are disproportionately filled with African Americans. Listen, that was, I remember I watched that too. How did I forget that that's what she won her Emmy for? But um, that's real good too. That's like I said, that's a documentary. Um, that's real good. Oh, that thing is good too. You know what the 13th Amendment is, right? 13th Amendment abolished slavery in the United States. Ex and But there's an exception in the amendment. There's an exception. It's like, you know, slavery is no longer legal except. And so that's how you get, um, you know, this overpopulation of African-Americans uh, and it's not that simple. I don't want to, I just made that like, and this equals this. It's not quite that simple, but the prison industrial complex, that ain't no, you know, left-wing conspiracy thing. That's a real, real thing, y'all. Anyway, watch that. And again, shout out, I was supposed to be ending this on a, a lighter note. And shout out to Ava DuVernay and her new ice cream. You know, I'm going to go get me some this weekend if I can find it in, in this area of Kentucky. My daughter and I are supposed to be going to get ice cream tomorrow. Maybe we can find some. Anyway, that's the whole episode. Listen, do you have a Christmas tree up yet? 
So we got a little one up. Um, this one I saw at uh, Walmart a couple weeks ago, actually some time earlier in November. So maybe almost a month ago, I saw this little itty bitty Christmas tree and I was going to put it up in my classroom, but I really don't have a, uh, an empty corner to kind of put it up in. And I'm afraid my students who sometimes do a little bit of horse playing might knock it over and then I'll have a little bit of an attitude. But anyway, so I, I never did take it to school. And um, but now it's up in the kitchen. My husband put it up in the kitchen and I thought that was cute. And it's like perfect little spot for it. But that's the only tree we got up so far. We usually put up a you know big tree with the, you know, all the trimmings and all that kind of stuff. But for some reason, we haven't gotten around to it. I put the wreath on the door today, the big wreath um, on the door with the lights and all that kind of holly jolly, all that fun stuff. Maybe we'll get around to it this weekend. I got Christmas gifts. They're in the house. And I hope I, I need to write a map. <laughs> I need to make a map of all the places where I've been hiding Christmas gifts. And I'm not going to talk about it on air because I have family members who listen to my podcast and they might be searching. But I do have some Christmas gifts hidden around the house. I just we just haven't gotten the tree up yet. But it is be beginning to feel like Christmas. Um, and like I said, the school year, well, at least the calendar year, you know, part of my job. We'll be wrapping up six more days with the beloved future children, future lead, not future children. They already are children, but I call them future leaders of America. I always think about that Whitney Houston song. I believe the children of the future. Thank you. <laughs> coming to America. Hey, did you see that Mac has a um, makeup line for her now? Um, a little uh, collection with Whitney Houston. I used to love Mac. I'm getting way off topic. I'm supposed to be wrapping up this episode. <sighs> I'm talking about Christmas and makeup, which is definitely one of my loves. Love, love, love makeup. Anyway, I hope you guys got your Christmas tree up and I hope you are really feeling um, the Christmas spirit. I know it's not always easy this time of year, particularly when you have um, lost loved ones and you have to spend these holidays without um, the traditions and things like that, that that you've established with family members. I don't want to say lost loved ones. I was just reading that in a book. Like when you're trying to explain death to children, don't use you know, euphemisms and things like that, or analogies that'll go way over their heads because they're not lost. They're not lost. They're dead. And that's usually how I talk anyway. But I, I, I switch my language up sometimes because I think sometimes it comes across as too blunt. But now I'm just, I, I, I agree with that reading that I did the other day. Anyway, my point, those of you who family members have died, um, I know this time of year is, you know, can be super difficult to carry on, especially like I said, you don't go over to their houses, they don't come up to your house, you don't have those traditions, you know, because your family members are not are not alive anymore. So I know um, I think about some of my friends who've lost parents in the last couple of years and how difficult this time of year, you know, this stretch from Thanksgiving to Christmas and the new year can be difficult. So you guys are definitely in my prayers and I gotta reach out, text and hug you, cyber hug you, cyber stalk you, whatever to make you <laughs> feel that you are loved. So even if you don't have your Christmas tree up, even if you're not quite yet in the Christmas spirit, I do hope that you are having a little bit of peace on earth right in through here. Um, I'm not going on a hiatus. I'm, I plan on being back next week. I'm sure there'll be some news that'll be churning um, that I'll be itching to share with you and get your take on it while you listen to my take. I appreciate you listening to me, of course. Um, follow me online. I am Donna Gay Tyler on social media. Like I said, I love Twitter. Catch you on the flip side. Whatever you do, stay classy. Know that you are loved and appreciated. And thanks for stopping by. <laughs>